podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. with honesty. Deja Druitt is an artist, graphic designer, and a full-time mom of a five-year-old boy. Having her self-esteem and self-worth affected by childhood experiences, Deja became afraid of people and their judgment. She has been facing all of her fears with honesty and art. Deja graduated from School of Visual Arts and have been a graphic designer for the past 10 years. You might have seen or even worn some of her shirt designs that have sold at Target, JCPenney, Victoria's Secret, and other stores. She has also created personal development card decks to empower and uplift other women. Here is the interview with Deja Druitt. Welcome, Deja, and thank you for having this conversation with me today. In your own words, who is Deja Druitt? Um, Well, I would say that I am a very creative person, and I have this very strong desire to help people in any way I can, and I try to use my art to do that. So that's really what I think would describe me the most. Wonderful. Thank you. My heart beats too fast. My hands tremble and sweat. I feel like there is a weight on my chest. My stomach stir. I have terrible headaches. I can't sleep. Sometimes I can't even leave my house. These common symptoms of anxiety are minor, only to the people who don't suffer from them. But to the millions they affect, these problems make the difference between a happy, healthy life and one of paralyzing fear and frustration. This is from the book Hope and Help for Your Nerves by Claire Weeks. There is another interesting line written by someone who reviewed that book that I really like. It says, You are not alone. Remember, it is often your beauty which can turn too deeply inward and create fear, which, when met with serious problems and conflicts, can result in a nervous explosion. So to lead to my next question to you, Deja, I want to read a few lines on fear of judgment. Judgments say more about the judge than what is being judged. You are only afraid of being judged on the things you find yourself judging others on. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. So the first two quotes were extracted from the website Mm alifeonyourterms.com. And the last two quotes were written by Anais Nen, 
She was a French-born diarist and novelist and a writer of short stories, the very interesting person. So my first question to you would say the second one, why did you become so afraid of the judgment of others? That's such a good question. Um, I think for me, I think for me, it started just um, because it started at such a young age. I felt very attacked by a lot of people around me. I, I'm an immigrant, so I came to America when I was eight from Russia. And when I was a kid in Russia, I was a very normal kid. I blended in completely fine. But overnight, I was a foreigner. I didn't speak the language where I now lived. And the school that I went to, it was just so drastic because I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. I was the new kid. I was the weird kid. I didn't dress like them. We didn't have any money. So everything we wore was, I guess, not cool. And I became a target very quickly. I, I learned very quickly um, things I shouldn't have known at that age because kids were already showing me their middle finger and saying bad words I've never heard before. I didn't understand why people were attacking me. And unfortunately, this continued for years. So from age eight up until definitely age 14. So all of elementary and middle school, I continued to get targeted and hated. I was hearing such horrible things from people. Go back to Russia. You're a pig. Just like I couldn't understand why people hated me or kids hated me. I just wanted to be normal and blend in. And that, unfortunately, stuck with me. I couldn't get out of that kind of, um, I mean, that painted my whole life picture is people hate me. People don't like me. I'm ugly. I'm not normal. And I mean, I started to hate myself and I became scared of other people. I just had this new picture that the world hates me and I became terrified of more of it, of more judgment from people because nobody apparently knew who I really was and not many people cared, I guess, to find out. How did you overcome that fear? That took me um, many years to overcome. So it started, I'm going to say it started to get easier when I started high school at 14. I started a new school. So a lot of the bullies from my previous school, I no longer had to see, thank God. And in my new, in my high school, I finally met new friends. Um, I had a small group of friends and I kind of just stuck with them. I no longer, I feel like stuck out because I was no longer the new kid. I was no, no longer the weird kid. I tried to, at that age, it's easier to pick up on trends so you could blend in a little bit more. And my high school, thankfully, was very diverse with a lot of different races and nationalities. So nobody was really targeted. And that was actually the one thing I was targeted for in my previous school, which was predominantly Italian and Hispanic. And they, for some reason, they just kind of ruled our school. And so all the, like the Russians and the Europeans um, got, I don't know, we just got hated for some reason. We were the minority in that school. And so in high school, it was very diverse. So I blended in more and I started to get over it a little bit more, but I still had a very big fear of meeting brand new people, walking into stores, talking to strangers was still very terrifying for me. And so although I started to get better in high school, um, when I started college, what started to really shift for me is I now had a boyfriend in college and he had a lot of friends and we would go to tons of parties that I didn't necessarily want to go to, but he was very social. So he would drag me to all these house parties and hotel parties and nightclubs where a lot of his friends would be. And although I'd be really nervous to go there, I was all of a sudden just, go, you know, I would go with some, me and him would arrive and all of a sudden I would just get like blasted with all these faces and people walking up to us and saying hi to us. And I was really scared to meet all these people, obviously, right? I didn't know what they were going to think of me and how they were going to treat me. But because everyone was always so nice and they would, they would hug and kiss me uh, as we meet. They would kiss me on the cheek. It was like a very mm -hmm. formal type of um, meeting. And I thought, wow, this is so nice. I'm not used to being greeted this way. And I learned, so like my friend pool kind of grew. I became a little bit more comfortable with meeting friends of friends because I now at least trusted friends of friends because they were all very nice to me. But then I now had to face this fear of complete strangers, 
But because I was getting comfortable with friends of friends and people at parties and, you know, meeting waiters and bartenders, which was all very terrifying for me, I was just getting, just by constantly being in that kind of environment, forcing myself to face these people, which was facing my fear, I was just becoming more and more comfortable up until the point when I realized that this was really just a trauma from my childhood, that it was not my new reality. It was my old reality and that grownups were not going to be bullying me, that it was a child thing to do. And I just had to convince myself that I had to now really get over it fully. So then after all these parties, I now had to, when I would be by myself or like when I would be in college or going to college, I would have to go to stores by myself to buy art supplies or buy lunch or even if I walked by a shoe store I wanted to go into. So for four years of college, I was scared to go into any of these stores. And I would usually have to go with my mom, which was kind of embarrassing. But after about four years, I finally, like after walking by the same shoe store for four years, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to talk to someone who works there. I'm going to try on some shoes and no one's going to attack me. No one's going to make fun of me. It's going to be a normal transaction. And I began to do that. And again, I was just blown away by how kind people were. And I finally felt like I was free of this horrible fear and anxiety of people, of meeting people. And I finally think at that age, which I think I was around 22 at that point, I finally started to become, I feel like, a normal person. How long has it been? Well, I'm now 35. So it's been over 10 years. 10 years. And yeah, and I feel like a completely different person from when I was growing up, just how terrified I used to be. Okay. Do you feel that you have overcome all of that fear or you still have some of them? (laughs) I definitely think I still have some of them. For some reason, now I'm more comfortable with, say, meeting people face to face or, you know, like now we have social media, which is amazing because it also helps you connect with complete strangers. And it's very easy to type to people, right? That's why there's so many cyber bullies because just nobody sees who you are. So it's very easy to type. They don't even hear you. But I still have a small fear of talking to strangers if I don't see their face because I think seeing their face really helps me figure out if they're a nice person, if they're here to attack me. But, you know, it's a little difficult with the social media because you just don't really know what their intentions are when they type to you. Or when you talk to someone, you know, what are they going to say? And you're not really sure. You know, it's like you can't really protect yourself in advance. Right. Do you believe that um, replacing judgment with curiosity could help? I really think that could help. I've actually been working a lot on judgment. I read your book and you started off with talking about judgment. And then I... The same, almost the same day, I started to see the word judgment a lot everywhere on the internet. Yeah. I came across Gabby Bernstein's judgment book, and I thought, okay, I think the universe is trying to tell me something about judgment. Uh-huh. So I started to kind of really think about it, I, and I started to reflect back, like, am I judgmental? And I immediately said, yes, of course you're judgmental. I'm very opinionated, and I started to really notice how judgmental I was, and I was trying to really uh, be more aware of it and see if there's maybe in some way I can start trying to work on it and not not be so judgmental because I've been wrong so many times and obviously I've been judged and it does not feel good. So I think absolutely looking at it from a curiosity you know, point of view instead of saying, well, that person is so this, really asking like, well, I wonder why they're like that. Well, maybe they're suffering from something or that can definitely give you a different point of view where you're not like attacking them in your mind. You're more of like more empathetic towards them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of learning about them. Um, yeah. And that's, that takes practice to do that, right? You have to keep catching yourself judging and that yeah. it's like autopilot. It's very hard to just turn off. Yes. Right. I mean, I would say compassion, it would be the best way to mm-hmm. sort of, um, and the judgment. I mean, we're not talking about moral character judgments because those are different. So there's a passage, something that I read on the same website. Um, The article was how to free yourself from fear of judgment. The writer, her name was Liz, she said, when you see something abnormal or uncommon, you judge. 
because it doesn't fit into your world of view or your view of the world. Mm -hmm. The best way to stop judging is to make it less foreign so it can fit into your worldview. So the only way to stop that is by learning about whatever you're judging. My next question about this whole fear domain is therapy. Have you done therapy? Do you think it helps? I've never done therapy. I've always wanted to do therapy because I love to talk and I don't have an outlet to do that, you know? So I usually tend to talk to the wrong people, unfortunately, or usually my mom is my therapist. I even mm -hmm. call her that and she jokes how she's going to bill me <laughs> because I can, I talk to her and I vent to her all the time. And so, yeah, I'm a very pro therapy, but I have never professionally done it. Funny that you said your mom, she's sort of your therapist, because I met somebody recently who offered this very interesting uh, service. She's a mom for rent. So people sort of you know, call her, she rents her year, you know, her advice, and she, she kind of loves them. Uh, oh, my God. Isn't that interesting? That was the first yes. time I heard about it. <laughs> There's another passage that I, I read from the book, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. And it says, even if the most important person in the world rejects you, you are still real and you are still okay. If you have done something inappropriate or you need to solve a problem or change a behavior, then take appropriate steps to take care of yourself. But don't reject yourself and don't give so much power to other people's rejection of you. It's not necessary. That's what she said. Do you think we take rejection too seriously because of our own low self-esteem and not enough self-love? It could be from that. You know, it could also just be like some kind of fear. I don't know what it is, right? Maybe some, everyone has maybe different reasons for that sort of fear. But when you mentioned it, it reminded me of a book I read. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about a guy who was so scared of rejection that he decided to go and get rejected a hundred times yeah, and he gosh. documented it on YouTube. He would record all of it. And then he turned, he turned it into a book. During that whole experience, he discovered something very new. Uh, one, he learned why he was so scared of rejection. He became very comfortable with rejection. In fact, his whole project was to get rejected. So he was purposely trying to get rejected, even though that's what he was absolutely terrified of, which was, I guess, one way he was facing his fear of rejection. But he learned a whole new thing from it, which he turned into a whole business, which I thought was very fascinating. When you do the things that you're so scared of, you discover, you know, he actually turned it into a business on how to not get rejected. Basically, he just learned there's a whole formula to, to being rejected and how to get people to, to, to say yes. He just started to see this whole pattern, which was very interesting. I think everyone has different reasons of why they're so scared of rejection. It could be self-love. It could be that they feel like they're just not good enough, right? They give way too much power to one person. Like yeah. th this is the person that's going to define whether I'm worthy or whether my book is good or whether this is good. And yeah, that I definitely, when I started my business about two years ago, that was a big fear of mine because I was being told I have to now contact all kinds of press people and see who wants to feature me. And that was very scary for me because I just kept thinking, well, what if they say no? What if they don't want to feature me? That means I don't have a good business or that I suck or that I'm a horrible artist. And then in some way that's going to define me, right? Yeah. That their opinion is a fact of who I am. But thankfully, um, I've been reading a lot of just great success stories about very successful people who've been rejected hundreds of times before they made it. Right. And it may, gave me proof that there are professional people who have uh, who make bad judgment calls, right? They reject people who are actually very talented or who are destined for success, but they misjudge their book or misjudge their, their product. And so, thankfully, I'm going to keep doing that and keep reaching out if I have to and not rely on one person's opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to let one person or even two or whatever, um, their opinions define who I am or what I really want to pursue in life.
Yes, I like that. Um, this thing about letting other people uh, affect us in a negative way has a lot to do with us rejecting ourselves. But also, of course, there's the other side of it. If we are coming from a place, you know, with a bad idea, then it's uh, it's good to have, I mean, it's good to be open, right? Open-minded. Mm -hmm. So other people give us their input. If they yeah. rejected us, uh, what we are trying to do, uh, maybe there's something that we have to improve upon or uh, maybe just uh, forget about for a while, do it for a hobby. There's something said about, you know, what we love doing, it's uh, overrated uh, sometimes. So we mm. can make it a hobby out of that. We don't have to make it as a business. True. So what is your definition of self-love? So my definition of self-love is when you love yourself exactly the way you are without feeling like there's a void because you don't have someone else to love you or someone else to confirm or affirm that you are lovable. You feel 100% content with your body, how you are completely on, on your own. You don't need someone to make you feel that way. And you accept all your flaws. You know, you can look in the mirror and see, you know, whether it's fat or cellulite or you don't like the shape of your nose, whatever it is to truly say, you know, I accept myself for how I am and I'm going to just love myself and actually do like love yourself. And I think that usually shows up in like confidence. That's usually how, you know, I think if someone really loves themselves, is they're really confident. Although some people can mask that. Um, that's how it showed up for me. I think uh, when I finally came into and became really comfortable with who I am and finally was, you know, was like, I don't think I need anyone to love me. I'm so content being on my own that it really started to radiate, I think, to other people as well. Right. We are social creatures, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of hard um, not to, not to be driven by this instinct of connecting, being around mm -hmm. other people and sort of caring, opinion about us. I think mm -hmm. this is sort of natural. I remember when I was in high school, nobody knew that for some reason, during the day, I was a very normal kid. But then every night when I would come home in the evening, I would lock myself in the bathroom and I would just cry for like at least an hour. And I would, for some reason, I would count all the things I hated about myself. And most of them were physical things, right? Things you can't really change or you have to change with surgery or something. But I, for some reason, just a lot of these things were so irrational and so weird and this is when I was like 16 or 17. And I remember when I was like 26, uh, 25, I was working at one of my new jobs. And we it was like six people in our, in our room. We were a graphic design team. And we would talk a lot. It was a lot of girls and we'd chit chat. And one of my coworkers mentioned something about herself. Um, she said something about her hairy legs and how they grow like her hair grows overnight. And this was one of the things I was very insecure about for many years is that my body hair just regenerates so quickly. And I felt like a man or a beast or, you know, ugly because of it. But she joked about it so publicly. And to me, this was such a big, dark secret. I asked her, I said, well, hey, I said, you know, I kind of have the same problem, but I've never heard anyone talk about it before. And she said, are you kidding? She said, most women have this problem. It's so common that this is actually normal, that if your leg hair does not regenerate so fast, you're actually not normal, not in a bad way, but you're not a normal standard because it's such a common problem. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of hit me so hard. Like, oh my God, I've been torturing myself for years over things that are so common. And it, maybe because no one was talking about it, this, this is, be, I mean, internet was already around, but I don't think there was Facebook. Facebook wasn't really huge at the time. And so now things are way more, you know, people are really like painting their underarm hair now and things are really coming out. But back mm -hmm. then, um, I was keeping a lot of these stupid, dark secrets to myself and torturing myself over things. And so that was a big moment for me when I realized my legs are completely normal. My leg hair is normal. It stopped beating myself up. So I immediately let go of that. And I started to I started to really look at other people, um, like that same coworker, she was very confident and I loved that about her. And I would always look at her and see how she radiated so confidently, but she was not perfect. Her, her teeth were, were crooked. 
but yet she was so beautiful and still very attractive and confident. And I also have some crooked teeth. I think that was another thing on my list that I used to torture myself about. Mm-hmm. And so I would find people who have similar flaws as me. And I would, I would look at them and I would look how other people treated them. And I would say, you know, well, they're pretty confident and people are not making fun of them for it. And people are accepting them for it. And I honestly made this conscious decision of, you know what, I'm going to accept my teeth and my legs and my nose. And I'm just going to slow and very slowly. I consciously would go over each body part that I had an issue with. And I would, after, you know, doing research with other people and finding other people who had the same thing as me. And I would say, you know, if they can accept themselves and be confident, why can't I, why am I torturing myself? And I actually consciously said, you know what, I am okay with my nose and I'm okay with my teeth. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would kind of get used to this. This is what was given to me. And this is, I'm just going to let it go. You know, I'm just going to leave it alone and stop, you know, badgering myself over it. And that's kind of how I did it. It just took time and, and, a lot of observing other people. Would you say socializing with honest and authentic people? Yes. It's a great mm-hmm. way of learning mm-hmm. about self-love. Yeah, opening up about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because had I not talked about this or had she not talked about it, I would have continued to probably torture myself because I had no idea that the things that I was um, so insecure about were so common. Um, actually, just I think yesterday or two days ago, I found a post on Instagram where somebody posted tons of pictures of women's uh, stomach stretch marks. So they were all mothers, I'm pretty sure, who have stretch marks on their stomachs after having babies. And a lot of these women said they've never even taken a picture of their stomach before, but they did it for this project, uh, for this one account, who wanted to publicize something that women feel shameful about. They hide, right? They never take pictures of it. They don't talk about it. They don't even let their husbands look at it. And so we hide this shame, yet we are all suffering from it so secretly, quietly. And this is the power of social media is we are now opening up this wound, right? And we're like, okay, here's my dark secret. And what we all do it at the same time, I mean, the feeling that you get is unbelievable. When you finally see other people come out with what you've been suffering with, I don't know why. It's just to me, I mean, I think it helps other women as well is to see you're so normal. Like this is, you're not a monster. You are normal because everyone's suffering from it. Or, I mean, yeah, they're emotionally suffering from it. It's not a, hopefully not a physical suffering, but it just helps so much when you connect with others about it. Yeah. Well, you said it's an emotional um, suffering, but it can become physical too. Um, yeah. they, mm-hmm. Everything's connected. Yeah. Um, that's funny what you said. Um, I mean, when I think about it, uh, you know, that we walk around like we are hairy legs or imperfect teeth or big mm-hmm. noses. We actually walk around like that, right? Believing that we are parts of our bodies. When everybody's coming out, just being honest about how they feel about themselves in life. And then we feel like we are not alone. I know it's a cliche. Mm-hmm, we're not alone. Mm-hmm. But that's the truth. We are not yeah. alone. We're never alone. How yeah. come we think that way? We must be so much in our heads, like yeah. that's selfish in a way. Fear is a message to let you know that is exactly what you, you need to do to overcome it, to meet yourself fully. Yet fear is also wisdom to let you know you have weaknesses that need to strengthen. In life, it's all about meeting fears with your most honest take while being mindful of your limitations. What do you think about this? Yeah, this was a very interesting quote, and I absolutely um, resonate with it, and I agree with it, uh, especially in um, the last few months that I've been consciously trying to overcome some of my fears. And of course, because they're most of my fears are kind of irrational. Like I have, I've always had this fear of being underwater. Um, well, it's probably started because I almost drowned a couple of times, but even in shallow water, I don't like to go underwater. I freak out. I feel like the water's going into my nose. And this summer I 
we have a pool now. I just moved to a community and we have a pool. So I spent a lot of time going to the pool with my son and my sister's kids who are older. And they were just jumping in and out of the water and diving and going underwater. And I just kept watching them with jealousy because it looked like so much fun, but I couldn't get myself to do that. Um, I just kind of float in the water. And but going underwater looks so much fun. Obviously, it has to be fun if they keep doing it over and over, right? And I just kept watching them. And after a while, I said, you know what? I'm sick of being scared. I'm scared. I'm sick of being that kid that watches everyone else have fun and I'm too scared to do it. And I kind of just said, well, what if I teach myself to do that? Because if they can do it and they're little kids, maybe I can do it. And I know I'm not going to drown if I stay in a three foot water area. And so I kind of just said, hey, guys, I think I'm going to try and jump into the pool for the first time, which was really scary for me because I also have a fear of heights. So that was a combination of jumping into this unknown height area with being underwater. And it took me a really long time to actually jump off that ledge. But um, the kids stood next to me the whole time and they held my hand and I jumped in after a lot of hesitation. And it was just what a rush. I just felt so it was terrifying. But the fact that I survived it, Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to climb out of the pool and do it again because I wanted um, that hesitation to get shorter and shorter until I can do it without even thinking that this would become the same thing as breathing and walking. You're not really thinking about it. You're just jumping in. And, and so I spent this whole summer, actually, not the whole summer, but towards the end of the summer, practicing uh, and facing that fear, jumping into water. And I learned how to swim underwater I, I, you know, I started with pinching my nose and eventually I was able to do it without pinching my nose or, or anything. And I feel very confident underwater now. And, and I just kept doing it because I was so proud of myself that I faced it. And so I definitely believe that part of some of your fears are like they're nudges telling you that this is what you have to do. And another fear I faced was I was getting almost this my intuition was kind of telling me, I know you're scared of like being on video and YouTube and doing things like that. But I got this weird intuition poke telling me you should start a YouTube channel because you have a lot of things to say, which I do. I have a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, I have, I talk nonstop, I think nonstop Mm -hmm. and I don't really have an outlet. And I figured why not start a YouTube channel, but I've been scared to do that. And I watch people on YouTube and they look so confident. And I kind of always looked up to them for at least a few years thinking like, you know, it'd be cool to be able to be so confident and comfortable that I could just talk on camera like that. And so I kind of decided, what if this whole fear is telling me that I should just do it? Because that's really kind of the only way I would actually overcome it is to just do it and see, hey, you survived, you know? And so I decided just one day, Um, let's just go record my first video. And I did, and I recorded only a couple of videos. I kind of slacked a bit there because I've been working on other stuff, but I posted a few videos and I have to say that really helped me overcome posting videos. It was just so quick, you know, like once you create your first video and you edit it and you watch, you're like, Hey, you know, I don't look so bad. I don't sound so bad. Um, and I posted it and I don't think I'm afraid anymore. Now it's just a matter of finding the time to record more videos. But yeah, depending on what your fear is, obviously, if you have a you know, fear of war, I wouldn't go into a war to overcome it. But if it's something that you know you could overcome and lots of people don't even have that fear, um, it could very well be like, hey, why don't you just try it? If it's something that won't really hurt you or kill you, you can definitely just try it and see what happens. Yes. I agree that daring or confronting fear with courage is, um, I mean, it's extremely important and it's a must for most of us. Mm-hmm. But I think um, a lot of people don't understand really what courage means. Mm-hmm. So they go on doing things like you just mentioned, you know, they're afraid of war and then they go fight a war. That, right. Yeah, that mm-hmm. wouldn't be good. But then there's the other thing, you know, they could die obviously doing that. But then mm-hmm. the other part is just not being honest enough with themselves. Just going into things with high expectations, you know, oh, I'm going to confront my fear and do this, open a business or start mm-hmm. a, whatever it is that their passion mm-hmm. might be. And then they might fail. It may, it may not work like we talked um, earlier. Mm-hmm. 
So not everything is really meant to become, you know, everything you think, your ideas to become a business. I mm-hmm. think everybody should, I mean, you should try anyway, but just sort mm-hmm. of uh, play with and not take it so seriously. Yeah. That's part I of being co- courage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you also have to, I think, let go of your expectations too, right? Yeah. So instead, instead of saying, you know, I'm scared of starting a business, but if I fail, then I'm a failure. Well, I guess I would first ask, what is it that you're so scared of? Is it the fact that nobody will buy your stuff? Is it the fact that it would take you years to make money? Is it the fact that you would have to work extra hard because you still have a job? Like, is it the fact that you have to quit your job? Like, what is the exact fear? Because everyone has, I think people, a lot of people don't even understand what the fear is. They just, you know, they say, I'm scared of this, but they don't, if you keep asking why, 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 like a whole bunch of times, like, or what then? what happens then? Okay. So nobody buys your product. What happens then? Right. And then you get, you kind of, I think, uncover things are like, huh, I guess I wasn't really, I never really thought about what it was that I was really scared of because nothing really happened. So what happens if no one buys your stuff? Well, nothing happens. Okay. So then what are you scared of? You're scared of nothing. Yeah. That's really what you're scared of, right? To get to this honest, courageous level to then confront our fears, you know, in a more wise way. Um, Do you think spirituality could help? Are you spiritual in any way? Yes. um, I'm trying to be spiritual. Definitely trying. I've been practicing spirituality or my form of spirituality for the last few years. I've been trying to meditate as much as I can. I know none of these things will, you know, make you spiritual, but I've worked with crystals and trying to connect with their energies and I record affirmations and all kinds of different things. I read a lot of spirituality books. I try to be more mindful and, you know, live more in the present. I practice gratitude. I'm just trying to be way more, you know, more grounded and accept things as they are than, you know, always being in your head so much, you know? Yeah. Being in the moment, yeah, that, I mean, it's really hard to do because yeah. most of the time we are thinking about the past, regretting, or in the future. Yeah. But then when we really get to the point of being here now, it feels like perfect, doesn't it? Like, yeah. You know, it's fun. And, yeah, and for people who who tend to worry a lot, it's, um, I think what really helps, and this is what I've been trying to do, is I've been trying to really connect with my higher self so that, because there's always so much that is unknown, that can get you into all kinds of worrying and anxiety. And what do I do? I don't know what to do. And I really wanted to learn to connect to my higher self and being able to receive guidance or just that feeling of knowing this is what's right to do and to just trust it and do it. Because I think that um, by doing so, I'd be able to live in a lot more state of peace, you know, and instead of freaking out, I would just know, well, this was what my guidance told me and I followed it. So I have nothing else to do, but sit, wait and trust basically. And so that's uh, something that I've worked very hard. And that's been part of my whole, you know, facing my fears is that whether I'm scared or not, if I get the the signal to do it, I go and I do it anyways. And that's, um, that's a quote even I read somewhere is be scared, but do it anyway. And I think that's the courage part is being scared, but still choosing to do it anyway, like really consciously. You, I think you really have to be conscious to do that because if you're subconsciously scared all the time, you're just subconsciously running away from the fear, right? You just automatically avoid the things that you're scared of. But if you can consciously realize this is what I'm scared of, I'm now very aware of my fear. What am I going to do about it? Do I keep avoiding it? And I think the courage is just, you know, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to do it. I'll do it with the fear. Yeah. And so, Hmm. yeah, that's where your intuition helps a lot, you know? Right. If you can, I think it depends on the level of uh, fear because some Mm -hmm. people, um, you know, that that takes like body and mind alignment because sometimes you know you can do it and you want to do it. And you just know it, you know, in your mind, Mm -hmm. but then the body won't let you do it. It's not ready yet. You tremble, True. you just, you can't walk even. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the, what you said was interesting about uh, trust, which I, I think about faith in a way, like just knowing that whatever's happening now, 
it's supposed to happen. It's, it's mm -hmm. happened for a reason. There's a lesson to learn here. Just be here now and you will know what it yeah. is. And then the being honest too, like, mm -hmm. I mean, straight up honest. You yeah. know, my body is not letting me do this that I really want to do. So um, I have to take medication in a way. Mm -hmm. So for some people, medication will help. They, they should take medication. So mm -hmm. the body will sort of help the mind to achieve whatever the spirit wants uh, to achieve, right. or the soul, whatever we call it. But some people, they're just too judgmental on that too. And they think, oh, no, no, I'm not sick. I'm not going to take medication. So that's when uh, it kind of doesn't help. How do you help or intend to help other women to feel empowered? So my intention, I guess it really started with that, with that one coworker, right? That I had a conversation with because by her, even just making a joke about her body, it helped me so much. What she did truly helped empower myself because I started to see things so differently. It was all about perception, which is completely mind-blowing because my body didn't change in any way by what she said, but my perception completely changed. And I felt very empowered by what she said because I felt all of a sudden I was able to embrace myself more and feel more confident and accepting of myself. And it was all because of that one thing that she said. And so I'm kind of hoping that through my art or my Oracle cards, which are they're all for personal improvement, that they in some way help women maybe realize something, right? I mean, the cards are not going to change you, but they might change your point of view about how you've been seeing yourself or how you've been treating yourself. Or maybe um, you'll have a flashback of something that happened years ago, and that's what triggered a lot of your fears or insecurities or whatever it is. And so my whole intention is that in some way, these cards will help you love yourself more, feel more confident and accept yourself, you know, the way you already are. Um, the same way that my one friend did for me just by, you know, joking about her leg hair. So my cards, that's what their intention is. And a few years back, actually, the weird thing is I was creating a new email account and I didn't know what what email to use, right? Most people use their name in their email, but I had just recently gotten divorced. And so I had to get a new email because my previous email was my name, my married name. And so I was like, you know, well, who am I really? Because am I going to keep changing my email every time I get remarried or divorced? And so, you know, I decided why not come up with something that's going to stick forever. And I, I asked myself, who am I and who do I want to be? And I said, happy. I want to be happy. I want to be truly happy, whether I'm married or divorced, whether I have hairy legs or not. That's really <laughs> what I want. Whether, I right? Like whether I'm rich or poor, uh -huh. I still want to be happy because money doesn't buy you happiness anyway. So, and so when I said that, that was my new email address. And I put that in my email. I still use it many years later. And so I think that's what people really want is to be happy. And that doesn't come from external things. That doesn't come from your status. That doesn't come from, you know, having money or having friends. You have to be able to be happy completely with what you already have and be able to stay happy when circumstances around you change. Like if you go through divorce or you have to downsize your house or whatnot. I've been through all of that. I've been through so much in the last few years, a lot of changes. And that is the one thing I've been consistently trying to do is just keep staying happy because you can't control so much around you. Yeah, that is a great thing to understand. We cannot control everything around mm -hmm. us. We, we can only control what's happening within ourselves. Um, I don't know if I believe in being happy because... Mm -hmm. How can we be happy with so much suffering around us? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are you able to teach your, your son, your five-year-old son, about fear? Well, he's, uh, he has a lot of fears, and I think he inherited those from me. Mm. So I, watching him, um, I am starting to see a lot of myself, even things I forgot about. Um, he's very scared of the dark. Or even in bright daytime, he's scared to go to the other room by himself. He's just apparently scared to be by himself in general. And um, that I resonate a lot with that. And the only thing I can do at this point at his age 
is just to keep reassuring him that there's nothing to be scared of, that you're safe. I will go check the rooms with him. I will say, well, what are you scared of? And I keep asking him, what are you scared of? Are you scared of a monster or or what? And he usually doesn't have anything logical to say. Um, but I'll just keep reassuring him. And as he grows older, one, I hope he grows out of it. But two, I'm going to definitely keep encouraging him to to face his fears, especially if it's you know nothing that can endanger him, but to really be curious about it and ask yourself why are you so scared of this and you know what would happen if you if you did it anyway and just you know see what happens and hopefully that will rub off on him in some way i think he's not really processing too much when i ask him like why he just says because you know <laughs> why are you scared because and i have to kind of guess well is it because of this is it because of that he tends to get frustrated and angry that i'm even asking him because uh-huh. he just wants me to leave him alone and just, you know, just do what I say, mom. <laughs> Sometimes he'll answer, but he usually doesn't. It's it's yeah. as if he's embarrassed or I think it's he already knows what I'm going to say, even if he tells me what he's scared of, because mm-hmm. I keep telling him over and over that it's safe here, that there's no one else here but us. There's no monsters. And he just so that's why I think he already knows. I'm just going give to him, give him a pep talk and he doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's um, another <laughs> world being a mother, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I was never a mother, I'm not a mother, so I don't understand mm-hmm. that kind of relationship. Yeah. But it's, it must be, I mean, incredibly precious. So many lessons that you can learn from them, right? From yeah, kids. Yeah, wow. for sure. We learn from them, and um, it's great to teach them as well. I have a 10 year old niece, and um, I'm proud to say that this summer, also with swimming, she was really scared of going down in the deep end. But since she's 10, you know, you, you can have a pretty mature conversation with her. And I kind of talked her into, you know, I explained, I really used my logic and I explained all the things. I said, you know, you can, you're, you're really good at swimming underwater and you can touch the ground. So why can't you do that on the deep end? You just do the same thing. And little by little, it took her about one or two days, but, and she was in the deep end swimming underwater screaming, look at me, look at me. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And so, yeah, it's exciting for me to see that I can help someone overcome a fear. And so if I can do that with a 10 year old, I'm pretty confident I can hopefully do that with my son when he gets a little bit older and he can process things a little bit, you know, differently. And hopefully I can do the same thing with even grown women who, who may need, you know, some inspiration with whatever area in their life. Right. We don't have to be free, um, free of fear, right? A hundred percent in order to help mm-hmm. other people. I think right. a lot of people don't, don't realize that. You don't have mm-hmm. to be fear-free in order to sort of inspire um, or help others. Yeah, because I mean, I still have other fears, yeah. um, big ones that I don't even know if I'll ever be able to overcome. And I even question whether I want to because I don't, I don't necessarily see it as I need to overcome some of these fears, but they are debilitating. Uh, I've had them since I was like two. I question whether it came from a past life or whatnot. I don't know where where they come from sometimes, but um, that's something that I still have nightmares all the time. I wake up from these nightmares and I don't know where they come from. But yeah, I definitely am not fear free for sure. Yeah, but you're able to help others, which is so, yeah, so least, beautiful. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the lesson. As of today... What are three things you know for sure that can lead to well-being? I know one thing is I, I try to be more aware of things and really pay attention and question things a lot. Um, we, have this, we have so much amazing knowledge around us, and I, I rely on other people's stories and books to improve my life and to just you know, uh, learn a lot. Another thing is to well-being, I, I would say meditation. Uh, I still struggle mm-hmm. finding time to do it because I, my brain is so busy and, you know, it doesn't shut off. It's hard for me to say, I'm going to sit down and just sit there. But uh, I think meditation really helps a lot with all kinds of things, right? I've had breakthroughs during meditation. I've had ideas come to me that I turned into products through meditation. So I find mm-hmm. it really powerful. Right. And I would say connection, since you even mentioned it earlier, I think connecting with others has helped me uh, so much. I don't know where I would be today if I didn't connect with other people and, you know, talk about 
our fears, our insecurities, um, everything, you know, other people, I couldn't have done it by myself. Mm, I like that. Awareness, meditation, connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, your projects? So you can go to my website, dejadruitt.com, D-E-J-A-D-R-E-W-I-T. I have the same handle on Instagram and Facebook, Deja Druitt. I have Oracle decks there. I just created a new planner and I'm going to have journals. So all my stuff is on there. And I have a special code for your listeners. If they want to buy anything from my website, they can use the discount code FITFORJOY and get 15% off on anything on my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Deja. That was a wonderful, insightful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To know more about Deja Druitt, please visit her website, DejaDruitt.com. D-E-J-A-D-R-E-W-I-T.com. To learn about future conversations, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again and bye for now.